different books, but it makes up one big book with one theme, one main theme that kind of runs through it. And we're going to look at that. We're going to kind of work our way from Genesis through Revelation, not, not one verse or even book at a time, but um, it's going to be over the course of a few weeks. We're going to look at creation and then the fall, and then the rest of the book is basically a chronicles of redemption. And God recovering back or bringing back the sinners to himself, rescuing sinners. And so what we're going to do is just kind of look at that theme and how it weaves its way in different places along, uh, along the way in the Bible over the next few weeks. And I am really looking forward to that um, starting next week as we, as we kick that series off. So if you don't uh, have uh, you know, plans already lined up, make sure you're here as we kick off that series next, next Sunday uh, morning as we look at recovering redemption. But today, I wanted to just kind of take a, a few minutes and uh, look at, at a chapter, a, a, a group of, of verses, a text that pretty much all of us are probably familiar with. You've probably all seen it before. You've probably, probably all read it. I, I know most have that are in here because we've actually looked at it before. It was a, last year, uh, over a year ago now, but we've looked at it before. But I thought uh, this week as I was thinking about school and and uh, that's starting up, and then all the things that are going on in the world, and negative things. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, things are not looking up right now, uh, exactly. And so, for, for you know, overall, in, in our lives, we, we know Christ. I'm not talking about individually. And, and, I mean, I guess you could do a Jesus juke on me. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Like, you're talking about something, and then you're like, but Jesus, you know, anyway. I'll have to kill Read, read a guy named John Acuff. He's, a, he's a, a satirical Christian writer. He calls it a Jesus Duke. But in the world, in the world overall, uh, things look bad. Things are, are, are negative, especially if you watch the news. Or if you're a political junkie like me, um, you, you, you read things and you go to websites and you see things. and It's just bad news all the time. And for me, uh, that can kind of start to wear me down sometimes. Uh, you see laws passed that you're like, there, there's no way that that makes any logical sense for one thing. But secondly, it does not bring glory to, to Christ. It doesn't bring glory to God. It's, it's just hurting our society. And I, I read about those things that are passed and how it's going to hurt my kids and my grandkids and different things like that. And then I look on a grander scale, people that are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, just things all are looking down. They're looking negative. And that can bring me down sometimes. And, and honestly, the last couple weeks I was, as I'm reading those things, I, I, that's happening. And I'm thinking about school starting and, and how they're, they're trying to push Christ out of the, the uh, public square and out of the public school and those sorts of things. And it kind of wears me down a little bit. And then God brought me back to this text. These verses in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking about or, or, or giving the presenting the, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And he reminded me that your hope is not in circumstances. It's not even in laws. It's not in people that you elect or people you don't elect. It's not in any of that. Our hope is in, is in Christ, yeah, but here on earth, it's actually hope is found in those who claim the name of Jesus. And you're going to see that this morning as we open as we open God's Word. Hope is found in those who know Christ and who are called to make a difference in culture, 
in the world, even in a classroom. As a teacher, as a student, as a professor, in a college dorm, wherever you find yourself, in the marketplace, in your home, you're the ones and I'm the one that have been called to make the difference. And so this morning, I want to look at these few verses here. We'll fly through them. We won't be in, in here very long as we fly through these verses. But I hope you'll leave here understanding that you're the one and I'm the one because of the power of the gospel who've been called to preserve, to bring light, to bring hope to a world full of bad news. So, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start verse 13. But before we do, I want to pray. Father, as we open your word, I pray that it would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, that we, as we look at, at these few verses, Lord, that we would understand that you have filled us with the power of the Holy Spirit as uh, light, as salt, as hope to a lost world. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 13. Here we go. It says this. You are the salt of the earth. Now, historically, when you've heard this sermon preached or somebody, a pastor, has come to this verse, they've usually stopped and they've said, all right, salt back in, in that day, in that time when Jesus was talking, was a preservative. Was a preservative. And therefore, you and I are to be preservatives to a lost and dying world. Or they'll, 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 they'll talk about salt in this capacity. Salt, whenever it's added to food, it, it adds thirst. And when a lost world comes to, to uh, sees the bad news and sees the, the, the decay and the, the bad things that are happening, they're supposed to, it causes a thirst in them and they're supposed to come to the church and they, they are quenched, their thirst is quenched there. They, they, they come in contact with a believer. They come in contact with you. Their thirst is quenched because of the, because of the gospel. Or they'll talk about uh, salt as, as uh, just different aspects of what salt does. And then we're to be the ones that are act as salt in a person's life to meet that need, to preserve the decay, whatever the case may be. And I think they're right whenever they teach that. I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching there. They obviously didn't have refrigeration back then, and so they would put salt on things to help preserve it. So I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. But I want to go a little bit deeper than that as we look at what it means to be salt of the earth. I think what Jesus is teaching at the heart of it is this. Jesus is saying, in a lost and dying world, in a, in a world full of bad news, believers, I want you to come before the throne each and every day and say, God, in my, in my life, I, I want you to create me a little bit more into the image of your son today than I was yesterday. Father, I pray that, that if you'll tarry, if you'll allow me to live to tomorrow, that I will look more like your son tomorrow than I do today. And the result of that, the result of the, the gospel beginning to transform your heart, your life into the image of the son, the result of that is that you become salt. You're, a, you're able to love the unlovable. You're able to uh, be patient with those who don't deserve patience. You're able to be preservative to a lost and decaying world. And so when Jesus says you're, 
You're the salt of the earth. What he's doing is he's inviting you to come into the process of being sanctified into the image of his son. All that big word means is this. I want to look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. And more like him tomorrow than I did today. That's all that you're asking. And Lord, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what pain I have to go through. I don't care what chisel you have to go pick out to begin to mold and melt melt and, and, and create my heart and my life into your image. Father, whatever it takes, my life is on the altar. And I want you to create Christ in me. I want to be a more clear reflection of him each and every day. And the natural outflow of that, the natural result of a, of a person that is doing that, that is allowing Christ to do that, is you're going to be a preservative. You're going to be salt in a decaying world. You're going to be a fresh glass of water to a thirsty soul. But he doesn't end there. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In the, in the original text, I want to make sure that I get this right. I messed up in the first hour. Uh, in the original text, that little, that little phrase, no longer good for anything, is literally translated to become or to make foolish in the original text. It's just one word in the, in, in the original text, in the original translation. There, when it says it's no longer good for anything, it means it's foolishness. And what Jesus is saying there is a person who claims Christ, who is a disciple of Christ, who knows Christ, yet doesn't live like that, is not in the process of looking more like him. And then the outflow of their life is patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and the fruit of the spirit. A person whose life is not looking like that, who claims Christ. It's foolishness to the Savior. He doesn't understand it. And so Jesus invites you and he invites me into a world of bad news. Into a classroom. Where kids face terrible things in their, in their home. In their world. On the TV. He invites you, teacher. He invites you, student. He invites you, businessman or businesswoman. He invites you, college professor. He invites you to be salt. Because anything less than that is foolishness. He continues with another metaphor, another statement. He says, you are the light of the world. Now notice twice he has said, you are something. He hasn't invited you to be it. He hasn't, he hasn't asked nicely. He has said, this is, when you claim Christ, when you're a disciple of Christ, this is something that you are. You're salt of the world. And then he also says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Here's the interesting thing about light. Its purpose is to invade darkness. And not only that, the darker the room, the darker the culture, the darker the situation, the brighter the light shines. I'm, I'm confident that that is why 
The, the people that we just prayed for have captivated a lost world. They do not understand why people would not denounce what they believe for the sake of their own life. They don't get it. A lost world does not understand why you wouldn't just say, whatever it takes to live, that's what I'll do. And yet these believers, these brothers and sisters in Christ have, have understood this, that I'm a light of, I am the light of the world. And, and the darker the situation, the darker the culture, the darker the classroom, the darker the family that you've been called to teach and to influence, the brighter the light that lives inside of you. And then he, he follows that up with, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, back to 14, I'm sorry, Marsha. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And the picture that Jesus is teaching there is cities were built on hills back then. And they were, they, they were built on hills for defense purposes. And then they put a fence around it. However, um, people that were taking, uh, that were traveling, I was about to say vacation. They didn't take vacations like we do today. But people that were traveling, that were going on a journey for whatever reason, would, would map out their journey to land at a potential or, or, or a specific city before nightfall. Because at the, when the night would fall, when the sun would go down, they would lock the, the front gate and nobody was allowed inside anymore. And then you were stuck outside the city wall in a very dangerous situation and in, in, in circumstance. And so they would map out their, their journey to land at a city before nightfall. And as you can imagine, a weary traveler would be coming down the side of a hill and he would look off into the distance just a little bit and he would see the lights coming on, the candles being lit in the city that was his destination. And he would understand and the family would understand that when they would get there, there was, there was security, there was hope. There was a place to lay their head. There was a place of safety. It was a destination for them for the night. And they would map out their, their trek, their journey accordingly. And so the sun's going down and they're coming down the side and they see this, this hope, this city that's on a hill lit up as a place of safety for them. And Jesus, in this metaphor that he's teaching right here on the side of the mountain, in the, in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, that is you, church. You are the, you're the hope. You're the city that's on a hill. The, the world, a lost world is supposed to look up at you and see a, a place of safety, a place, a destination, a place to lay your head, a place to find comfort, a place to rest. So he says, you're a Salt of the earth, but not only that, you're light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And he goes on in the next verse. And he says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. He says, it would nobody would show up in a dark room, light a candle, put it up on the lampstand, and then put a basket over it to shine or to, to hide the light. Nobody does that. No, instead they take the light, they light it, they put it at the highest point in the room, and it illuminates the whole room. The whole room can see because of the light. Church, that is you. And that is me. To a lost, decaying, and dying world, he follows it up in the last verse, and he says just what I've said. In the same way, let your light 
shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, the order that Jesus teaches this truth in, he doesn't say, get yourself all cleaned up and then start practicing good works and then the the Holy Spirit, the power will come after that. And then the world will see everything that you do and, and applaud who you are and how good of a person, how moral of a person you are. That's not the order that he teaches this. He says, no. He says, you're going to be salt and you're going to be light. And the way that you're salt, the way that you're light is that the power of the Holy Spirit is cultivating and working and chiseling in you the sun. He's, he, the, the Holy Spirit is working inside of you so that you will reflect the sun more clearly each and every single day. And as that begins to happen, good works are going to follow. And the result of being patient with those who are impatient, the, the result of being kind to those who are unkind, the result of being a, a teacher who can deal with parents who nobody else can deal with, it, with the result of, of all of that, of a life that looks like that, is your father gets the glory. They say, I, I don't know what it is about you, but, but there's something different. And the Father is the one who is worshipped. The interesting thing about the, the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus was teaching to his disciples. And as was always the custom, people from all around would come to hear him speak. Or maybe to do a miracle, you know, Heal a blind man for the day or, or heal a, a lame man for the day. And everybody wanted to be there to see that. And so common people, regular Palestin- Palestinians, he was in Palestine actually. Regular Palestinians would come to the side of this mountain to hear Jesus teach his disciples specifically. Common folk coming to hear Jesus talk. And it's to those people. That Jesus said, you're going to change this world by being salt and by being light. It was regular old people, regular, regular people from Palestine, people like you and like me. He didn't, his audience wasn't kings and emperors and rulers and governors. His audience wasn't members of the United Nations. His, his audience wasn't generals and people who had great influence in the world. It was common people. Like you and me. And he said, you're the ones who are going to be salt. You're the ones who are going to be light. You're the ones who are going to preserve a decaying world. You're the ones who are going to bring light to a dark world. You're the ones, common people, who are going to change everything. And that's exactly what has happened. And now it's our turn. And it starts in the school year of 2014 and 15. Maybe in your classroom. Maybe in your office. Maybe in your school. Maybe with your kids and their friends. Maybe you don't, you're not at that stage of life right now. But people have placed, God has placed people in your circle of influence. And your salt and your light. Or it's foolishness. To the Savior. Let's pray. Father, this morning, 
I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you have called us, common people, average, everyday people, people who the world doesn't look to with any significance. And you have said you're the ones because you belong to me who are going to change this world. And you're going to change it one life at a time, one classroom at a time, one school at a time. And it doesn't matter what laws are passed. It doesn't matter what the news on the TV is that night. You're at work redeeming people back to yourself and you're doing it through us. Through the power of the gospel. We say thank you. May your name be praised in Jesus' name. Amen.